0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading energy analyst, David Leach. Hello, my name is Giles Parkinson, and welcome to Energy Insiders, the newly rebranded podcast for Renew Economy, where... Myself and uh, David Leach, our
1: analysts go through the week's events. Um, David, um, welcome. Hi Giles, and uh, sounds like a cool new name, Energy Insiders.
0: Look, I think if AGL can rebrand itself, and so can we. Um, and on that topic, um, there's a bunch of things to talk about um, today, of course. Um, not least the uh, gas intervention by uh, Malcolm Turnbull. Um, there's the AGL rebranding. There's a new report out from the Energy Networks and CSIRO on our future grid. There's uh, record wind output from South Australia. There's um, a new report on on hydrogen, and there's um, a new storage for battery um, for batteries from Victoria. So um, look, let's get going. Um, the gas intervention thing this week. Look, that's been the biggest. Um, that's been the biggest news to dominate the front pages. Malcolm Turnbull has come up and said look we will impose a, a restriction on you if we don't have enough domestic supply um i guess there's two things he was trying to do here one is to make sure that people don't run out of gas and two to try and lower the prices um Is he going to succeed in either of these?
1: Well, Giles, you know, what we've seen recently from our Prime Minister is a series of grand announcements. Uh, This was kicked off uh, by the Snowy uh, Mark II scheme, and then when he was down in Tasmania, another uh, area with some notionally marginal seats, there was a grand announcement about Tasmania as as Australia's battery I
0: hadn't seen the connection, the marginal seats, of course.
1: (laughs) Today today it's Australia, tomorrow it's the world when we move into the hydrogen economy, all supplied by Tasmania. And uh, today we've got an announcement, somewhat more serious uh, in some ways about gas, uh, that essentially says that if you um, uh, uh, produce uh, less than than you're exporting, uh, that you'll have to somehow make it good. The thing is, and it's a relatively easy, the company that will be by far the most affected by that, or the LNG exporter, is, is GLNG, Gladstone LNG, which is 30% owned by Santos and also has CoGas and Petronas and uh, Total as its shareholders. They uh, have to buy quite a lot of gas for their facility, Yeah, well, that's because
0: they had the bright idea of building a $20 billion gas plant without working out where they're going to get the gas from.
1: Well, to be fair to them, they were the first ones to talk about building an LNG plant. And if you look back in the history, um, they've had several goes at getting into the coal seam gas industry. They tried to buy QGC. Uh, they tried to do various things and they never quite got enough gas and the result is that they've got quite a shortfall they've uh, written a whole lot of contracts the most important of these is that traditionally the cooper basin that's the big area on the border of south australia and queensland uh, has been the main supplier of gas historically to new south wales and also to south australia and even to some extent in the early days to queensland itself the reserves there are gradually running out and the the last uh, 700 petajoules that Santos owns, it's 60% owner up there, uh, has been sold to this GL&G contract. So there's no more gas essentially to come from the Cooper Basin to, to the domestic market. Uh, and this really means that the entire load for the domestic market is essentially or largely coming from Bass Strait and Victoria. And again, that's an area that's been producing for a long time. There's always a bit more gas there, but it's always getting a bit more marginal, and I don't think a country wants to be dependent on one supply source. So
0: um, the answer to the question then, um, is it going to lower prices, this um, intervention, or is it... Um, or no. That's just, that's just not going to happen. No. No. Okay.
1: It, it, look, it won't happen for a while on my interpretation of the, of the legislation. It won't happen until there's an actual physical shortage of gas. And when that actually happens and they and they knock on um, Santos's GLNG's door, what will most likely happen is that GLNG will just buy some spot LNG cargoes on the international market to fulfil their contractual obligations and divert some of the gas they were they were going to turn into LNG and send it back to the domestic market. But the price won't change, I mean, by definition. So that, well, there you go, so that, that's, that's no
0: comfort to the consumers. Um, perhaps some of these people start thinking about alternatives to gas. Um, we've seen that um, solar and storage might beat um, gas-fired generation, and um, we had a report, we reminded people of a report last week, um, um, from an Arena report talking about all the alternatives there are to industrial gas uses, and most of them come from renewables and, and, and such. Like you know, maybe we should um, maybe we should start going down those um, those paths.
1: Well, Giles, I think there is a lot of uh, you know, it's, optimists will always see uh, renewables as the answer to everything, but it's going to take quite a yes. while before we can have renewable energy kind of making plastic, for instance. Assuming the world needs more plastic, and you know, making explosives and fertilizer. Um, There's quite a lot of things that jobs that gas does in the broader economy uh, that are not that easy to just substitute electricity in Mm. immediately for.
0: I think we should be starting to move. Anyway, um, talking about a gas company, um, Australian Gaslight, now known as AGL. They came up with a rebranding this week, and I've, I haven't actually written a story about it, but it did amuse me, because they're talking about, um, look, we know we, we it must change, and we've promised to get out um, to start getting out of coal by twenty twenty two, and to get fully out of coal by twenty fifty. Now, um, it seems to me that they only just bought into coal three years ago, or five years ago, their first bit, and the, and the rest of it three years ago. Um, I suppose they could have said that um, we've just bought into coal. We promised to get out th- three or five years ago. We promised to get out in thirty three years. Um, but no sooner because we're making too much money out of them
1: yeah I think that's a pretty fair comment and uh, the the AGL generally and I think the chief executive Andy Vezzis uh, loves to talk about renewables and take the cash that's coming in from the uh, from from law yang a and from Bayswater and um, and Liddell here in New South Wales, and, and that's going to continue for quite a while. The share market loves AGL because because they you know they can see that electricity prices are going to go up 20% to the consumer in the household and 30% to industry, and AGL's a, a company that's probably going to do the second best, relatively speaking, out of it. Relatively speaking, the, the company that will do the best is, is COP, which owns um, your lawn
0: yeah yeah well look i guess it it is reflective of one thing that at least agl sort of understand that they do need to change their messaging um if not their business um immediately just to sort of try and attract those consumers and retain those consumers who might be getting fed up with the um with that, but it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch AGL Origin and some of the others and how they actually shift towards this distributed energy future.
1: Charles, I, um, I just want to give a little shout out to AGL that they actually, in my opinion, are doing quite a good job in a lot of ways. They've been racing around to households, putting in your time of use, communicating meter. Uh, they do offer a solar uh, service that uh, they seem to be able to advise well about it. Uh, they are the ones doing this uh, five megawatt battery system in South Australia. You know, I don't. You can hardly blame management for milking the coal system while it's there. Um, well, it's
0: their fiduci- it's their fiduciary duty to do so. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely, but but within that, they, they're actually doing quite a lot of other stuff. You know, to, to gradually push mm. out.
0: I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't doubt that at all but I mean my big question, one of the fa- things that fascinates me is can you continue to run a business like that and can you at the same time transform your business to deal with this distributed energy future? And what we've got this week as well is this Future grid, this Electricity Transformation Roadmap, and I won't go into it too much detail, but basically it's from the CSIRO and the network owners, and they're pointing the the path to 100% renewable energy by 2050. They've got a pathway for all states to go down there, and if you look at our stories on the website today, there's some fascinating um, insight into how much storage you need and how much backup you need and their scenarios for going down that. One of the interesting things is um, the amount that will be, um, the importance of the households. They're talking about 80 gigawatts of rooftop solar by 2050 um, on businesses and homes and 85 gigawatt hours of battery storage. Essentially, it's going to be the households and the businesses that are going to play a critical role in the future. Um, But the other thing that's really interesting about this roadmap is the pitfalls that you can happen along the way. And I guess we've got a bit of an insight into that this week. Um, with um, South Australia. Um, It got to 1,540 megawatts of wind, which for a small state is an awful lot and is almost 100% capacity from its wind installations. But it just about got to the point where some of that wind generation had to be curtailed. It wasn't, but it's not far off it.
1: So curtailment's a big topic uh, in renewable energy uh, all around the world. We see curtailment in Germany for wind. We see uh, tons of curtailment of renewables in China. Uh, and we see curtailment in California as emerging as an issue. Perhaps the only area where we don't see much curtailment of, of big, big wind areas is Texas. And the reason is that they did such a lot of pre-investment in transmission. That, together with the CSIRO report, just brings home the fact that we need to do more modeling. i got to keep going on about this. There are so many different answers to how you get to the higher renewable percentage figure, and we want to make sure that the social benefits are properly, of putting, say, battery storage at households are properly captured who wants to be building you know uh, more transmission links to Tasmania if you can't see how it's going to fit into the bigger picture it may we do need more transmission as well to facilitate all this distributed energy and to prevent curtailment what we need is a big broad modelling exercise that takes all of these things into account and i want to contrast that again with the kind of piecemeal announcements that we're getting coming from the federal government. It's not that I'm critical of the federal government per se. It's just that these announcements have been made without the broader policy foundations and planning that that underlie uh, a long-term clever future.
0: Absolutely, and, we hope, and, we, and, we, and as we've said before, we can hope we can get that from the Finkel Report or the Finkel Review. Um, interestingly, about that curtailment and also, I guess, about the LNG export industry, um, hydrogen has read its head again. Um, there's a lot of people running around sort of talking about, you know, green fuels and green ammonia, um, using excess wind and solar capacity, um, storing it with hydrogen, um, then tra- um, turning into ammonia and uh, being able to transport it that way. Um, Siemens are pushing it, um, a bunch of other people are pushing it, um, Ross Garnet has pushed it in the past. I understand that ARENA next week will be announcing it as one of its investment priorities. Um, it's an interesting idea, but not everyone thinks it's a go-up.
1: No, you know, I must say I'm on the cynical side with some of these new technologies. I was cynical about wind uh, until it proved that the costs could could come down. There's a new battery technology that pops its head out of the ground every day. Uh, This year we've seen pumped hydro, for instance, has been the the new magic answer to, to everyone's problems. And and hydrogen, which has been around for a long time, I mean, people have been looking at fuel cells for ages for cars. Uh, I think there are quite a lot more difficulties with it than than you might think. And personally, I'm happy for people to get very excited about hydrogen. But if someone comes to me with a stock market investment that has hydrogen in it, uh, I'm going to wait till that balloon's really gone up and stayed up before, uh, before I'm jumping on board
0: that's fair enough yeah well look the um the proponents of the hydrogen um, um the people from siemens were saying that it's really the falling cost of solar and wind which is actually making it um a lot more interesting now um and i'm not too sure i buy the whole fuel cell vehicle things i mean they did make the point that it might work in fleets and things like that which come back to base but i think it's probably been outdone already by the electric vehicles and um, and what have you Look, that takes us over to, um, well, you mentioned battery storage. Um, a few battery storage developments this week. Um, one's a bit of a sad one with um, Redflow, with Australian uh, battery storage manufacturer. It's had a few problems with its electrolyte and um, third-party people um, putting its systems together, so it's had to sort of suspend production for a little bit, and um, that's a further setback to that Australian um, development, which I think everyone wants to succeed, but he's not too sure it will because it's got to try and, you know, Match um, the Tesla Powerwalls and all the other lithium-ion ones on cost, so um, that was an interesting development.
1: Um, I, I guess, Giles, that points in it's just, it points in from a share market perspective that you know you need to have a very clear idea when you, you know, you shouldn't be putting money into one of these kind of investments unless you're prepared to lose the money. Quite frankly, because you know, for every technology or company that succeeds, there's there's nineteen that don't and and this is why so many businesses want to go with uh, lithium batteries uh, as as a storage idea because it's seen as the main street technology. you won't get sacked for putting a lithium battery in but uh, if you put something in that's uh, out there and it doesn't work well you know
0: yeah indeed and interestingly enough um, Victoria also put in um uh, or just announced um late this week that um they're going for two large-scale battery storage installations um, of about 20 megawatts in capacity and about 100 megawatt hours in storage all up in Western Victoria. That's an interesting one. Um, One, they're sort of um, trying to match um, South Australia. They want that in by January, which is interesting because that'll be its first summer peak post Hazelwood. And also, I guess, to help also manage the um, huge amount of renewable energy that's gonna go into Western Victoria, um, both solar and wind. Um, interesting developments.
1: Indeed, and I guess again everyone too will want to think about whether we'd be better putting batteries at the edge of the grid in houses or having the centralised battery storage. Um, uh, We're
0: going to have a bit of both, aren't we?
1: Well, I I think we are going to have a bit of both, but I wouldn't mind seeing uh, like household batteries qualifying for uh, the, the small renewable energy subsidy, for instance, in the same way that household solar does, to give it just that little bit more of a push. Uh, I personally think uh, batteries at the point of consumption uh, are probably just as useful in some ways as batteries at the, at the point and the grid. I guess what you see with the utility scale battery is that uh, if the solar farm has a cloud goes over it momentarily or the wind just drops for five minutes, this is where the battery can be incredibly useful at, at smoothing out the, the output. But you know, the scale, sort of batteries that we're talking about isn't going to be keeping uh, Victoria's lights on for very long.
0: No, and I don't suppose it's designed to, but um, I do urge people to actually read our story um, about how much story is needed. It's it's really interesting put together by the CSIRO and the networks and um, it makes the point that up to about 40% renewables, you don't actually need much storage at all, if any. Um, And then as you get up to about 60 or 70%, you need more. About 60% is about five hours of storage. And then you need more if you're just relying on battery storage completely for 100%, but it, it differs completely from state to state and it's really quite um, it's quite fascinating and and also points out how much back you know fossil fuel backup if that's your choice of um flexible generation and it's not what everyone thinks it's the um it's the mild cloudy winter days rather than the hot summer days that are going to cause the problem down the track according to the CSIRO and the networks
1: giles i think uh, we've seen some similar work being done by the um um ANU in the Blackers, Blackers, if I pronounced that right. Uh, uh, I'm not
0: too sure if it's Blackers or Blakers. I'm sorry, Andrew, if we've pronounced it wrongly.
1: Uh, looking, and they they coined this term, the uh, cost of balancing, uh, which is I think an important point. We, we've all seen recently that the outright levelised cost of electricity uh, coming from wind and from PV has has fallen to broadly equivalent to, to gas or coal, and you know if you easily it could be below. But those two technologies still do have the advantage in that they'll get that, that price at all, when, when, when price is high, they can, they can deliver as demanded. So the renewables needs this cost of balancing, this extra bit of cost in the system. And uh, it's just interesting to see how we can minimise that total cost by a combination of transmission, uh, batteries, and, and all the other technologies that have been talked about. Australia is an experiment, South Australia, in, in seeing how that's going to work and uh, as is California, and, and it's a very exciting time. I expect that cost to come down and down and down, and so that the total cost of electricity um, to be delivered to be somewhere in the 70 to $90 range within a few, per megawatt hour within a few years, which, of course, is not that different to the current futures price.
0: Well, exactly right, and that does actually have the um, added added, um, security of um, locking in those um, costs for uh, many years to come because you don't have the variable fuel costs and, um, and the quantity price risk. Um, look, let's look towards next, next week, a few things happening. Um, we've got the ARENA announcing its um, investment priorities for the next year, so we've mentioned hydrogen. be interesting to see what else is on its agenda. I would fancy microgrids and battery storage, but let's wait and see. We probably know it won't be large-scale solar because um, it doesn't need it anymore. Um, we've got a, um, a solar conference down in Melbourne, which will be interesting, and the Carbon Markets um, Institute conference at the same time at the MCG so um, there's a few um big names talking there and um and um what else is happening i think there's a grid i think there's a bit of a grid um i um oh, the amc actually holding a um a stakeholder um, webinar or get together about its five-minute rule, So that might be interesting as well.
1: And I think the Australian Institute of uh, uh, Energy is holding a Newcastle conference to talk about gas which uh, next week, which looks like it's a webinar as well, which looks like it'll be very timely. And we, I keep hanging out for these announcements from the federal court about the uh, wires and poles costs, because in the end, that's still 50% of your bill. And we've still got all this incredible uncertainty uh, about what those prices are going to be from a decision originally made back in 2014 here we are in the-
0: oh there you go well look and um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep a watch out for that look David um, thank you once again for joining us
1: uh, Giles a, a pleasure to be here and uh, isn't it fun talking about these things
0: It is indeed. And look, um, thank you um, to all the people listening. And look, I do urge you to um, respond or recommend us or um, send an email to someone to sort of say, um, listen to this. Um, You can find us on all the various um, podcast downloads on SoundCloud and iTunes and... um, Damn, i forgot the name of the other one we just signed up to today. But anyway, we're freely available. We do appreciate your recommendations and sharing it around. And we'll talk to you around about the same time next week. Cheers.